Right. So uh, for Lent, we did this series called Becoming Whole, and I got a bunch of feedback from people that they would like to hear more, to continue that journey, and uh, frankly, all of life is about becoming whole, right? So maybe we'll just keep going for years on becoming whole, which we should keep going. We're always on the journey of becoming. But uh, we're going to, so through the end of May, we'll uh, explore the idea of becoming whole some more, and then we'll do something different for the summer. So uh, just a little bit of review of where we've been. So when we began this series, I, I started by talking about this idea of being fully present, that often we're so busy going from one thing to the next to the next, and our minds are so scattered that it's a, a rare thing to be fully in the moment, fully present. And then we talked about the idea of powerlessness and uh, looked at uh, uh, what Paul had to say in Romans chapter 7 of, I do what I don't want to do and what I want to do, I don't do, and how he was just absolutely powerless. Who will save me, he asks. Who will rescue me from sin and death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. Our Lord, And then we uh, explored the story of Jacob a little bit and uh, how Jacob recognizes he's powerless, he's on the run, he's a fugitive, and God shows up to him, that God is present in our powerlessness. He is present to us no matter what. And then we talked about the idea of surrender, and then we returned to Jacob and talked about uh, how he wrestled with God. And by wrestling with God, he received a new name, a new identity, and a new limp, and that before he could face Esau, he had to face God. And after he faced God, he did face Esau. And we see this encounter of Jacob and Esau being reunited and explored the idea of what it means to face someone and the nature of face and the nature of forgiveness. And then we celebrated resurrection, because he's still risen, right? And we looked at uh, this text in Luke 24 and and Jesus at the table with them breaking the bread and their eyes were opened and they saw Jesus. And we looked at the difference between this couple in Genesis 3 serving themselves and eating for themselves and their eyes are opened and they saw fear and they saw death and they saw shame. And this couple in Luke 24, Jesus serves them. And they see hope, they see healing, they see new life, they see new creation and a new day bursting right within them and all around them. And so today, I want to talk about the nature of practicing Sabbath, because here's the thing about becoming whole. We can talk about it, I can teach on it, you can listen, we can read books on it, we can do studies on it, we can do all this stuff hearing about and thinking about becoming whole, but unless we actually practice things that ingrain in us the nature of becoming whole on a regular basis, it's all intellectual assent without experiencing it in real life. And so I think there's a number of practices that God invites us into, and Sabbath being only one of them. So I just want to explore one of these practices this morning, and that being Sabbath and the nature of Sabbath, and why God invites us into this opportunity to practice Sabbath. God set up a rhythm of life 
Six days of work, one day of rest. Six days of work, one day of rest. Six and one. Six and one. We, we live in a culture that thrives on busyness and where we find it very easy to get addicted to work. We have a word for it, workaholism, or so-and-so. They're, they're such a workaholic. And interestingly, in our culture, it's one form of addiction that's actually praised, isn't it? We praise people who are workaholics. We praise people who go, 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 accomplish, 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 do, do, do. And God invites us to set aside work for a day and to rest renew, and reflect on him. Now, one thing to keep in mind about Sabbath is that Sabbath does not mean inactivity. It doesn't mean don't do anything. It means it's a day that looks markedly different than every other day. And I'm pretty sure that Sabbath for you probably looks different than Sabbath for other people in this room. There are no hard and fast rules around Sabbath other than this. What brings you delight? What brings you delight? And what we're going to explore in the scriptures is that God believes that what brings us delight most deeply is him. And remembering him as creator and redeemer of the universe. So what does it look like to engage in Sabbath activity of delight that keeps mindful the creator and redeemer of the universe? So, before we jump into talking about Sabbath, I want to talk a little bit about work, because here's the thing. Often, we as Christians can think about work as mundane, as as, uh, something that would, in theological terms, be a result of the fall. Uh, Because for so long in the Christian world, we have often begun the biblical narrative, the story of the world with Genesis 3 rather than Genesis 1 and 2. And so we have in our minds this idea of Genesis 3 and human rebellion against God and then thorns, thistles, and work as a drudgery rather than Genesis 1 and 2 where God gave us work as a gift and gave us Sabbath as a gift. And so, in Genesis 2, if I can have the next slide, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And so, work is a part of what it means to be human. Part of what it means to be human is to use our God-given gifts to work to cultivate the earth, to cultivate things, to create things, and to do something with everything God has created. So work 
is not a result of the fall. Work is a gift. The drudgery and mundaneness of work is a result of the fall, but not work itself. Work itself is a gift, and we're called to work, and we're called to enjoy our work. And work comes in all kinds of forms. It's not just what you do for money, right? There's yard work. There's the work of raising kids. There's all kinds of work that we do. And so don't, don't think work is what I do for money. That's part of it, but it's not the whole of it, right? And so there's all kinds of different types of work, and it's a gift that God gives us to work and take care of the earth, to literally to serve and protect. So what do you do for work? What do you do to serve God, others, the planet? And then what do you do to step away from that and have a day that looks different, that is distinct from all the other days? So, fast forward in the story to the time of the Israelites in Genesis, in Exodus chapter 3. Uh, in Exodus 3, the Israelites are in slavery in Egypt. They work seven days a week making bricks. And they are in agony over needing to work seven days a week. In Genesis 3, God says, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. I want us to take note of something here. God is one who sees. God is one who hears. And God is one who is concerned. He says, I see I hear, and I am concerned. Maybe this morning, whatever you're carrying, whatever the slave drivers are expecting of you, whatever is going on in your life this morning, may you know that God sees, God hears, and God is concerned. And let's be honest. The slave drivers are alive and well in our culture today, aren't they? And the slave drivers that drive us the hardest are often ourselves. How many of you drive yourself hard? And you expect so much of yourself. You expect more of yourself than anyone else expects of you. We are often our own worst slave drivers. And our expectations of ourselves are so high that we never can reach them. We live with these expectations of ourselves that then trickle down to our expectations of others. God invites us to let the slave driver go. Because let's be honest, the work is never done. The list never ends. 
So let me ask you, what day of the week do you set the list aside? What day of the week does the list, you look at it, you say, yep, there's things on the list. And today, I'm not checking any of them off. What day of the week does the list get set aside? What day of the week do you not do email? What day of the week are you not available? What day of the week looks markedly different than every other day? What day of the week? For the Jews, it was Friday sundown to Saturday sundown. Still is for the Jews. Friday sundown to Saturday sundown. Uh, It doesn't matter what day it is for you. Is there a day that looks markedly different than every other day? God's people, the Hebrew people, they're in slavery in Egypt. God says a man named Moses, who went rather reluctantly, to go and speak on his people's behalf and bring them out of Egypt. And he does this. He brings them out of Egypt, and he brings them to Sinai, preparing them for the promised land. And here's the thing about the Hebrew people. God recognizes you can bring the people out of Egypt, but it's a whole other thing to get Egypt out of the people. You can bring the people out of Egypt, but it's a different thing altogether to get Egypt out of them. And so, God gives them a few words that we call the Ten Commandments. And he says, hey, I have a way of life that I want to give you, a way to live life that I think is the best possible way of life. It's a way of life given where they were in their time, in their culture, in their development. God says, here's ten things. Can you just do these ten things? Like, for instance, can you just not kill each other? Like, that sounds like a pretty good idea, so let's not kill each other. Okay, can you just not steal from each other? Like, that that sounds like a pretty good thing. So let's not steal from each other. Can you, can you not sleep around? How about no adultery? Okay? Can you, can you just not do that? Can you stick with the one person that you're with? Uh, can, can you not covet? Uh, can you, how about you don't worship other gods? Uh, it was one thing to bring the people out of Egypt. It was a whole other thing to get Egypt out of them. Interestingly, one of the ten things is what? Sabbath. Sabbath. Uh, The Ten Commandments, we see them in Exodus chapter 20. If you want to look with me, there's Bibles under the chairs in front of you. Out of the Ten Commandments, the Sabbath is the longest one. It has, if you will, the most commentary to it. The most words associated with the command. In Exodus 20... Verse 8, God gives the Sabbath command, and he says this, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. 
On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servants, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. And so God is very clear with his people. Hey, Sabbath isn't only for you. It's for those who work for you. God says, don't do to others what Egypt did to you. You rest, and you allow those under you to rest. Don't do to others what Egypt did to you. You rest, you let those who work for you rest, and, interestingly, let your animals rest. Let the land rest. Give the creation Arrest, which we know now from science and all kinds of studies that this wasn't God just saying, let creation rest. This is a rhythm to creation that if you don't allow animals to rest, something goes wrong. Uh, there's been studies in zoos where we see that if the animals are put out there for show seven days a week, something goes drastically wrong with them. They need a rest. There's a rhythm that has been built in to creation. Six days of work, one day that looks markedly different. You rest, you let those under you rest, you let creation rest. Six days work, one day rest. It looks different. The command continues in verse 11, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And so God, after giving the Sabbath, then gives a reason for why you keep the Sabbath. What's the reason? Created in six, rested on the seventh. Therefore you do the same. It's a rhythm to creation. The reason in Exodus 20 for keeping the Sabbath is because God is creator, and God created in six days and rested on the seventh. Therefore, you do the same. Create, cultivate, work, six days, rest on one. Exodus 20 tells us to keep the Sabbath. Why? Because God is creator. Now, there are two accounts of the Ten Commandments. The other one is found in Deuteronomy chapter 5. So if you want to look at Deuteronomy chapter 5 with me. The second account of the Ten Commandments, Deuteronomy 5, verse 12. God says, Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servants, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your town, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. So very similar to Exodus 20. You rest, you allow those under you to rest, you allow your animals to rest. God then, in Deuteronomy 5, gives a reason for keeping the Sabbath. It's different than the reason in Exodus 20. This is the only area of the Ten Commandments that we see 
a significant difference in the telling of the Ten Commandments, and it's in the Sabbath command. And it's this. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Why do you keep the Sabbath? Because you were slaves in Egypt, and I brought you out. God says, you can bring the people out of Egypt, but it's another thing to get Egypt out of them. Exodus 20, you keep the Sabbath because God is creator. Deuteronomy 5, you keep the Sabbath because God is redeemer. What's the Sabbath day all about? Reflecting and remembering that God is the creator and redeemer of the universe, and you are not. When we work seven days a week, our identity becomes our work. The Israelites' identity were slaves. You're slaves. You're slaves. That's all you are. And you work, and you work, and you work. God is reminding them, your identity is not slave. Your identity is found in me as the creator and redeemer of the universe. And we are called and invited into a day that reflects on God as creator and redeemer, whatever that might look like for you, because it's a day of delight. Sabbath was never intended to be a burden. And I think we, whatever context you may have grown up in, many of us have experienced Sabbath as a burden. It's this day where you have to do certain things and you can't do other things. That was not God's intention with Sabbath. God's intention with Sabbath was always liberating, always freeing. Remember you were slaves. You were once slaves, so never make Sabbath about slavery. It's about freedom. It's about liberation. It's about a day of delight in experiencing the creator and redeemer God of the universe who has freed you from slavery. Our identity is not in our work. Our identity is not consumer. Our identity is not doer. We're not human doings. We're human beings. And our identity is wrapped up in God as creator and redeemer. God always intended for Sabbath to be a delight where we would be restored in him. Now, over the years, what happened is that all kinds of rules and regulations got piled on top of the Sabbath command. And so by the time we get to Jesus, what you have with Sabbath is a day of rules and regulations, not a day of delight. And what we find in Jesus is that he often 
chooses to heal on what day? The Sabbath. Why? Because for most in the religious elite, to heal on the Sabbath constituted work, and if you healed on the Sabbath, you were breaking the Sabbath. And so Jesus intentionally heals on the Sabbath to provoke the religious people to see what their response will be. In Mark, at the end of Mark chapter 2 and the beginning of Mark chapter 3, there are two Sabbath episodes that are right next to each other that I want to take a look at and how Jesus responds to some accusations he receives about how he lives on the Sabbath. So, in Mark chapter 2, verse 23, it says that one Sabbath Jesus was going through the grain fields. And as he and his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. So I want you to picture this. Just imagine yourself walking through a grain field with Jesus and his disciples. What are they doing? They're enjoying creation. They are out walking, having a Sabbath walk, and enjoying God's natural world as they walk through this grain field. And the disciples begin to pick some heads of grain and eat them. It's a beautiful day, and they are delighting in God's creation, the way Sabbath ought to be delighted in. But... Their delight does not last long because, uh, lost my place. There we are. Verse 24, the Pharisees said to Jesus, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? So they're walking through this grain field, enjoying the Sabbath, enjoying creation. They start picking some heads of grain and eating them. And the Pharisees say, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. I mean, one of, the, one of the first questions we should ask when we read this text is, what do the Pharisees do on Sabbath? What? Seems like an awful lot of work to me to be going around to make sure no one's breaking the Sabbath. But that's what they do. And they see the disciples picking heads of grain. Now, here's the thing. Picking heads of grain on the Sabbath meant you were harvesting. And to harvest is to work. And so now this beautiful day that Jesus and his disciples are enjoying, they've just been accused of working because they harvested heads of grain in the grain field they were walking through. Why are your disciples doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Your disciples are breaking the Sabbath. So Jesus says, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? Uh, this, this is meant to be humorous, because these are religious leaders, they're Pharisees. They, it's their job to study the Hebrew text. And so when Jesus says, Have you never read? This would be deeply offensive to them. Of course they've read this. Have you never read 
what David and his companions did when they were hungry and in need. In the days of Abiathar the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat, and he also gave some to his companions. And so Jesus chooses this, this interesting story of David, who had been anointed to be king, but was not yet king. He's on the run from King Saul, and in, in a sense of urgency and emergency, he allows his companions to eat this bread that was only meant for the priests to eat. And so Jesus justifies his disciples picking heads of grain by talking about David and his men eating bread that only the priests were supposed to eat. And then he says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. What does Jesus remind them of? The Sabbath is a gift. You have made the Sabbath a burden. Sabbath was always given as a gift. But instead, you've made it a burden. And it's become a burden to everyone all around you because all you're concerned about is the letter of the law rather than the spirit of the law. Jesus is trying to help these religious leaders see what is important in experiencing the delight of God is not the letter of the law. It's the spirit of the law. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Jesus is always about the spirit of the law. Spirit always trumps letter. Mercy always trumps sacrifice. The Sabbath was given as a gift to humans, not humans for the Sabbath. You, Pharisees, have made it all about the Sabbath and all your trite rules you've surrounded the Sabbath with, rather than experiencing the delight of the creator and redeemer of the universe. Mark continues in 3.1, he says, Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. And so you've got to picture this scene. Jesus is in a synagogue, and the religious people are there. And what are they doing? What are you supposed to go into a synagogue to do? Worship God, right? What are they doing? They're watching Jesus. They're keeping an eye on Jesus. We're going to see if he heals this man. Because if he does, then we got him. We got him. And so what they are concerned about is not worshiping the creator and redeemer They're concerned about catching Jesus in the act of healing. How dare you heal someone on the Sabbath? So Jesus has this man stand up, 
and he says to the Pharisees, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. They're not going to engage the conversation. They just want to catch Jesus doing something he shouldn't do on the Sabbath. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. What makes them want to kill Jesus? That he healed someone on the Sabbath. That's worthy of death in their minds. But for Jesus, it's always about life. What's, what, what should we do? Save life or, or kill? In Jesus' mind, what better day to heal than on the Sabbath? The day we're called to remember that God is one who liberates. God is one who redeems from slavery. What better day to heal? And so Jesus' mind is on life and on healing, where the Pharisees' mind is on death and destruction. The imagery is so profound in Mark's telling of this story. Because for the people there, when they see this man with a shriveled up hand and and Jesus says, stretch it out, and he stretches it out and it's healed, it would immediately invoke within them an image of the Exodus. Because the Exodus story was regularly saying, remember that you were slaves in Egypt And God brought you out with what? An outstretched arm. An outstretched arm. And Jesus heals this man whose arm was shriveled. And he says, stretch it out. Stretch it out. God's reminding them that they were slaves in Egypt. And God brought them out. And what Better day to heal, to see a man's arm stretched back out than the day they're called to remember that with an outstretched arm, God brought them out of slavery. What's Mark doing in these two stories? I think he's showing us in the first story that Sabbath is all about remembering God as creator. Enjoy the God of creation in creation. And I think he's telling us in the second story that Sabbath is all about remembering God as Redeemer. Enjoy the God who comes to heal and restore and renew. You are not slaves. You are not what you do. You are loved simply because you are.
simply because you exist. What day of the week do you enjoy God as creator and redeemer and allow him to restore you and renew you so that you can go back into the work week restored and renewed in such a way that when you begin practicing this rhythm of six and one, six and one, six and one, it, you become restored and renewed in such a way that when you enter back into the work week, you can do so with the spirit of Sabbath. You can actually engage your work, whatever it may be, whether it's doing something for money or something else, whatever work may be for you, you can actually do it with the spirit of Sabbath so that in your work, you're still enjoying the creator and redeemer of the universe. Let me ask you this question. If I can have the next slide. What brings you delight? What brings you delight? What brings you deep joy? And then let me ask you this. Next slide. What would I do for 24 hours if the only criteria was to pursue my deepest joy? What would it look like to ask yourself that question? What would I do for 24 hours if the only criteria was to pursue my deepest joy? What would it look like to take a day a week to pursue your deepest joy? Whatever that might look like. And I think that brings us full circle because to do so would mean you're fully present. You're fully present to the creator, redeemer of the universe, and you're fully present to whatever it is that brings you deep joy. What day of the week does your week look markedly different than every other day? Uh, what day of the week do you put the list aside? You recognize it's not finished. I know it's not finished. I know it's going to be there tomorrow. But today, I'm setting it aside. Uh, what day of the week do you not do email? What day of the week are you not available? What day of the week do you pursue your deepest joy? God, thank you for the gift of Sabbath. God, this, uh, this practice we recognize as a gift and yet also can be very difficult for us to pursue and to pursue well in a 
in a culture bombarded with busyness and lists and work and things to do. And so, God, I pray that you would give us the grace, give us the means, give us the capacity to pursue our deepest joy in you, reflecting on you as creator and redeemer, and that we could carry with us throughout the week the spirit of Sabbath, the spirit of rest, the spirit of renewal, your spirit of creation and redemption. We give you thanks. In the name of Jesus, amen. this morning. May you know the delight of the creator and redeemer in you. And may you in turn delight in the creator and redeemer of the universe who has revealed himself to us in and through Jesus. May you go and experience the risen Christ and the spirit of Sabbath. Grace and peace be yours. Amen.